Hmm. I would say I am a teacher and that's probably where my coaching or I enjoy the relationship coaching. Um, I'm a leader that, uh, that takes me, that's taken me a while to get to, and I'm a work in progress. That's the one that keeps me grounded because <laughs> we're constantly, like you said, evolving and changing and figuring out things. That was Elizabeth Overstreet, and this is The Recovery Revolution. It's time for The Recovery Revolution podcast, and it is unlike any recovery podcast you will ever experience. This is next-level recovery transformation featuring the most influential minds in addiction, recovery, sobriety, mindset, and entrepreneurship. We are transforming the stereotypical mundane process of recovery into one of finding your own personal path to empowerment. This podcast will revolutionize the way you look, feel, and talk about recovery. This is The Recovery Revolution. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Recovery Revolution. And today we have Elizabeth Overstreet joining us on the show. And Elizabeth was introduced to me by my good friend, Krista Wojo, because she felt that Elizabeth would be a great guest for the show, and she was not wrong. The topics of relationships, especially when it comes to early recovery or even being in recovery, is so delicate. And on today's episode, we do a deep dive into relationships, especially the idea of feeling in love, falling in love, and actually being in love. It's a fantastic episode that I think you guys are absolutely going to love. So let's dive into Elizabeth's story, but first, a quick message from our sponsors. We are all addicted to something. Money, success, food, drugs, alcohol, and even our problems. These addictions hold us back and prevent us from tapping into our greatness. My name's Omar Pinto, and I'm a life transformation coach, addiction recovery specialist, and lifestyle entrepreneur. I help people transform their business, family, and personal life every single day. So if you want to find out what's holding you back from living a life of fulfillment, success, and happiness, go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. It's time to transform your life. Today's episode is brought to you by the RRC, the Recovery Revolution Community. The RRC is our private recovery membership group that features online meetings, online support, accountability, peer-to-peer recovery support and coaching. The Recovery Revolution is more than just a podcast. It is a support network helping thousands of people all over the world. So for more information about the Recovery Revolution podcast or how you can join the RRC, then go to omarpinto.com and get plugged into the Recovery Revolution today. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way to show your support for the podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Omar. Thanks for having me. I am excited to have you on the show today. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm excited about this interview. Yes, me too. Me too. We have a, a beautiful um, friend in common, Krista. A little shout out to Krista Wojo. Um, and she put us, she is amazing. She is a uh, heart of gold. 
Anyway, she put us together, and she thought we'd make a a, a great podcast uh, team here. So so we're gonna give it a go, right? So so welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. All I'm right. happy to be here. Looking forward to this discussion. Yes, yes. All right. So folks, today we have Elizabeth Overstreet joining us on the show. And uh, as I was going through her bio, I read it through. Is what it says. I've always been intrigued with dating and relationships and the dynamics that attract one person to another. My parents and grandparents have each been married over 50 years. Wow. I mean, like, wow. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I'm not even 50 yet. I learned a lot through being single, being married, coming out of a divorce, dealing with a breakup, and jumping back into the dating pool. I would like to thank my parents for their modeling my former partners for their lessons in relationships, what to do and what not to do, and my friends and relatives for allowing me to be a relationship investigator. Special thank you to my daughter, I love that one, who supported me and told me to stick with the writing. Her encouragement helped me to bring my book to fruition. That sound about right? That is right. Uh, Yeah, my daughter is in animation, so she's a creative person as well, and so I like to write and it was funny. She's like, mom, get to it. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she was my motivation throughout this. I can't tell her to do things, but I'm not doing it myself. So mm-hmm. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. How old's your daughter? My daughter is uh, 22 years old. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay. How old were you when you had a 12? <laughs> No, I wasn't that fast. My parents would kill me. I I was (laughs) in my 20s. I was legal, legally married. (laughs) Good Lord. Wow. Wow. You look amazing. You know, thank you. Thank you. I've learned not to ask women their age. uh, But when (laughs) you calculate, just calculate, I'm just, I'm doing it. I'm like, wow. Okay. That's impressive. Okay. Wonderful. (laughs) All right. So um, let's dive right in. And first of all, Elizabeth, tell us what your normal daily routine looks like. So I am an avid information seeker of all topics. So I you know, tend to do a lot of reading. That's how I start my day. Mm. Um, writing is very cathartic for me. Mm. Uh, meditation, I feel, is also very important. And then I try to have some component of wellness, you know, whether that's exercise, yoga, Pilates, just something to get the brain going. And that's kind of my routine to get me, you know, through each day, each week. Do you have a specific time that you do it? <sighs> No, you know, it just really depends. But I do know for me, I'm an early riser. Mm -hmm. So I tend to peak between 5.30 a.m. to about Mm -hmm. 2 p.m. And then after that time, I tend to crash probably because I've been up since 5.30 a.m. So I just tend to like to do things in the morning and midday. Those tend to be my higher productivity levels. And so I'll do my more difficult things early in the day, kind of knock those out when I feel like I'm a little more refreshed and then do the more menial, you know, tasks towards the end of the day. Yes, I can totally relate to that. By the end of the day, usually like after three or four, I'm done. I'm, I'm, you know, I have to do the most basic work. You know, the genius work happens between four and five. So you're really early. I'm, I, I, I am. I am. I, I, I've kind of adopted the miracle morning practice. Um, and so I, I, I may not be, I, I may not do it religiously, but that four o'clock time, if I have something that I need to do, if I've got something to do and I do it at four o'clock in the morning, like I get up, you know, first you're a little bit groggy, that kind of a thing. 
But once I get the ball rolling, I can get more done in that hour than later on in the day would take me two, three hours sometimes. It's just something about... And you feel so accomplished after that. You're like, okay, I've knocked out the hard stuff. So by the time everyone is catching up to you in the morning, I guess that's a little secret. We're letting out the bag for early risers. It's like you feel like you've gotten a lot done. So it's really hard to disrupt your day. You can even deal with the emergencies that come up or the things that change in your schedule. It doesn't impact you as much because it's almost like you have extra time to kind of handle those important things. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, when things come up and, you know, throughout the day, and if I get to that point where I'm kind of like done, I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to schedule this, this, I'm going to use my morning time for this. Cause I know I'll be able to knock it out in half the time. Like I'm, I'm you know, if I try and do it right now, I'm going to force it. Right. And so what I'll do is I'll schedule these like high priority items that kind of get thrown at me. Like that, that become high priority. I'm like, tomorrow morning, I'm knocking this out, right? And I'll get up early and then boom, it's like, it's, a, and then I get that feeling like, oh God, accomplished, done, ready to go. No matter what happens the rest of the day, right? I knocked it out, you know, that kind of champion feeling. So I get that, that early risers, that's the, that's the, that's the plus for making that happen. It is, it is. You sounded like a Wheaties commercial there. <laughs> Like I'm knocking it out early in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a lot of Wheaties commercial, you know, the more to come. Um, so a lot for some of us, uh, part of that morning routine is a spiritual practice as well. So uh, for me, uh, adopting a spiritual practice has been, has been very important, has been very crucial um, in a lot of my personal development. Um, so how do you maintain your relationship or your your, your relationship, yeah, or, or with your uh, or conscious contact with your higher power? You know, I think everyone has different terms these days, whether it's uh, having a relationship with God, spirituality, the universe, but I really think a lot of them are the same things. We just communicate them in different ways. So I think a big part of, for me is, you know, engaging in prayer, um, having a, a strong spiritual awareness, and really, uh, you know, thinking about gratitude a lot, especially mm-hmm, in the morning mm-hmm. when I'm meditating you know, focusing on the things that are present, even in those moments where it looks so dismal (laughs) or that, you know, you're having that rough moment. And that's helped me to really stay grounded and see beyond what the present situation may be. Yes, yes. And that is also, I will agree with you on that. Um, Yeah, sometimes I'll do a little tippy toe around, you know, higher power, spiritual condition, you know, the universe, Right, because we all have different names for the same thing, right? So I it makes us feel the same way, right? Right. So you know, high five, high five. Okay, I got. It. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's start to dive into some some of the more probing questions. Um, and as somebody that's in the personal development space, someone who's in the relationship space, um, what I find is that um, you know my thing. What I was addicted to was drugs and alcohol, but what I find is that people in general, everyone's addicted to something today. I mean, the, the, the world around us is designed to get us addicted to things, addicted to sugar, addicted to your phone, addicted to social media, addicted to Netflix, right? So addicted to shopping, right? There is this stimulus that happens, you know, when I participate in this addictive, addictive behavior. Um, so has, how has addiction... Um, played a role in your life? 
Yeah. So I, I would say it's twofold. Um, the first part of it is that my brother uh, suffers from addiction. Mm-hmm. So as a, a young person, uh, he was three years old. He's three years older than me. He's still alive, um, but he still struggles with addiction. Mm-hmm. I watched him really go from marijuana, the gateway drug to cocaine and to other you know, types of substance abuse. And at a young age, I saw him overdose. Like I had to, you know, we went to the hospital. We thought he was going to pass, pass. He had overdosed and he didn't even recognize me. And I remember being really young. Like, I think I was probably in fifth or sixth grade. And it just had such an impact that it kind of made me go the opposite way mm-hmm. towards addiction. I was mm-hmm. scared of it because I saw that it was a, a real thing. Um, so it impacted me probably in a more personal, emotional way, um, because I saw him struggle because he was probably one of the smartest kids in our family. I think there's like, a, I wouldn't want to put one brother over the other brother or sister because I have a, a, I have five, it's five of us. But I mean, he definitely was super talented, could, you know, charm people, just knew how to really get things, you know, get his way in life mm-hmm. in a way, in a good way. Um, and I just watched him just go through so many um downturns with addiction. So I have a, a, a special place like in my heart for people who suffer from it. It really is a, a sickness um, and it's hard. And, and I can't even sit here and say, I understand that component of it because I've never been addicted to drugs per se. But like you said, I think everyone has different levels of addiction. So I say it's twofold for me. Um, probably what my challenge has been is always looking for acceptance from others outside mm-hmm. of myself is something I struggled with. And I just had to go through a lot of different experiences to get to a point where I recognized that I couldn't look for those accolades from someone else, that I had to get that from myself. So I had to learn self-love, you know, and, and we term it different things, self, you know, confidence, um, acceptance, but at the end of the day, it's really just accepting like who you are and not looking outside of yourself for someone else to give that acceptance to you. So I see it like that's, so when you, we were talking about talking to each other, I was like, I could still see codependency in relationships because I coach people around that. Um, it's easy to, to, to do is because of how we grow up, how we see relationships modeled. Um, and, but there are ways to really change, you know, the behavior once you exercise the self-awareness. And I've, I've been able to do that. I've been very successful over the years at just being able to look at myself and say, Hey, you know, you're a work in progress. You're not perfect, but you have this, this, and this and talking to myself in a, a gentler, more accepting way. And, and a lot of times when people are codependent, we're willing to give that to other people but we don't even give it to ourselves or we look for other people to give it to us, but they really aren't the people we should be looking to, to give it to us. So it's, it's something that I uh, kind of, you know, I, I, I can understand from the two sides. I'm curious um, if you notice this, but, but what I find is that um, the things that people crave the most, the, the, the needs that they uh, want to fulfill the most uh, the places where there's, um, a lot of lack or they feel a lack of is in many cases the things they give the most, right? So Absolutely. it's, I mean, a lot of times you can, you can just, you will know how someone, what kind of pain someone's in or, or, or how they're suffering and in what way, just by what they bring into the world, how much of themselves that they give, but knowing that they don't take for themselves, they don't nurture themselves, um, and that the people around them do not nurture them and love them. Have you have you noticed that, you know, as yeah, far as a, dealing with people? There's a saying that, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. But I like, and that's the golden rule, but the platinum rule is treat others the way they want to be treated. 
So I think in relationship dynamics that often you can tell where a person's weakness is because that's the thing they're exhibiting the most towards Mm -hmm. their partner. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's what they want their partner to exhibit back to them or Mm -hmm. mirror to them. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is what may be important to you is not important to your partner. So if you're a parent that has children, for example, you know, sometimes even in parenting, we tend to give our kids what we felt we lacked. So you'll hear a lot of parents say things like, well, I got to put my kid in this school. I got to send my kid on this vacation. I got We have to live in this neighborhood. And when you really probe deeply, you say, is it about the kid or is that about what you want? And a lot of times it's not always about what the kid wants because when you circle back to the kid, the kid comes back with something totally out of left field and says, I just wanted dad to be at my games or I just wanted more um, one-on-one time or I wanted da- you know, dad to go watch movies with me. It could be something so mundane. And I, I've learned this as a parent and in relationships that it's so important that you really have that open communication with your partner and you, you're asking those questions. You know, when they're reacting a certain way or they're saying they need certain things that you're, you know, you're paying attention and not necessarily thinking of it in your way, but it's hard because we're, we're all cognitively <laughs> processing things differently based on our experiences, how we grew up, how we saw people around us who were in relationships interact. And we bring all of that baggage to the table. And that's why we struggle and we fail, you know, at relationships. It's not, it's, there's no one way to do it. Cause people are always asking me, what's the, what's the formula? I'm like, there's certain things that are key, but it's just, it changes and it morphs depending on the people that are in that relationship and what their needs are, which means everyone has to have their own dynamics, you know? So to your point, yeah, people definitely, they'll put out a lot of energy of what they want. And I think initially in the relationship, when people are in the beginning, they work really hard to, to match needs, right? Cause you really, yep. wanna, you know, you're mm-hmm. in this feeling. And then as time goes on, the rift comes when you you go back to who you are, which is actually more important of who you should be. But that's when the communication really needs to start, because now this is like who you're showing yourself to be. And now you need to figure out, OK, is this what that person needs or wants from me? So I just see I, I can see why people you know, are challenged by relationships like it's not. It's not the easiest thing because we as humans are constantly evolving, changing, being impacted by certain things that are happening. And all these things drive different um, dynamics into the relationship. It reminds me of a like a typical argument and where it starts with, you know, I've done everything for you. And then the response <laughs> is, I didn't ask. I didn't ask you. I didn't ask for that. What do you mean by every? What does that mean? What do you mean by everything? You did everything for me. Right. So I did everything for you. Really, I was doing everything for me because I assumed that you wanted the same things I wanted. So I just kept giving you all that stuff. It, it's and there's that there's that book, right? The the five love languages. Right? Yes, that book is so important because it, you know, it talks about different people have different needs. So like some people like affection. So sometimes, if you know, and I'm using the male, but it could be the female, too. But but males constantly like prodding his partner, I want to have sex with you. The woman could be thinking, God, why does he always want to have sex with me? Like, can't, I'm just here. Like, why does he feel this need to just always lust after me in a way? But for that guy or female, that's more about that physical affection. That could be the way they reconnect with you. For other people, it could be about time. Just quality time could be important to someone. You taking time out of your schedule to call them, text them, you know, take them out to dinner. For some people, it's about gifts, which can be looked at materially. But for some people, the gift is about how you feel about them. Like it's an expression of you really taking time to understand who they are. And then the other one was, so there's touch, there's time. I'm trying to remember I'm missing one. There's gifts, all acts of service. 
So some people like having things done for them. Mm -hmm. Like that's their way of showing, you know, love to their partner, like cleaning the house, cooking a meal. And it was funny because I was coaching one of my friends and she said, my boyfriend said he doesn't care. She's a cook. Like she went to culinary school. So for her, cooking is her way of showing love. And she said she would cook these grandiose meals. And he was like, I don't care about that. I just want to spend time with you. So there's that connection, disconnect where she's thinking, oh, I'm cooking a meal. That's going to make him happy. And he's like, I don't care about that. I just want time. And I, and, and so I, you know, I coached her through that. And I said, it's not about what you want to do. It's about how he wants to receive it from you and vice versa. So that mix up happens a lot because people are looking at it from their vantage point. And then one more point I want to make is that I was talking, coaching another person this weekend and they mentioned like, you know, my ex partner was narcissist and we're hearing the term narcissist a lot and they're out there. And she, he said, you know, he didn't do anything for me. I said, okay, let's back up. Yes, we know he's a narcissist now, but he did do some good things for you. And I think when a relationship ends, we just go so on the negative side of what that person didn't do, not taking kind of the good side of it to, to move us forward. So just like you said, it's like <laughs> on his side, he's probably saying, I did everything for right. you. On her side. You're a narcissist because you help, you know, you threw that in my face. So there's some truth to both sides, but it's also recognizing like some of the good parts of it too, and what the person may have tried to do with some good good intentions too. But all that kind of goes out the window when people are <laughs> upset or done with each other. Yes, yes, and I and I think that um, I mean this this can go in a lot of different directions because this is what I find uh, too when I'm coaching people is that they don't understand what happens once they're in that part of the relationship where both of them kind of start going back to normal. So you have right. these, you have, it's almost like you have multiple personalities. I think we, you know, I, 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 I've identified a few, right? So you have yeah. these multiple personalities and the person that you meet is the pickup artist, right? Or the person that is, yeah. right, is gregarious yeah. and outgoing and free and like, Right. It's 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 got a whole different air of confidence. And then you get into the relationship and then they kind of turn into somebody else. Right? It's kind of like sort of needy, sort of like uh, maybe a little bit more controlling, a little bit more, a little more, more paranoia. Right. So I would love to kind of get your feedback since we're just kind of like free flowing here and we're talking about relationships there is I th that I, I believe I believe that that is a lot of what happens is that you're one person when you are out looking or f are single looking to get into a relationship and then you become somebody else when you're in the relationship. And I'd yes. love to get your feedback of what you've discovered or what, like some big ahas, because I'm sure there's people listening going, yeah, 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 that's me. You know, like I start out this way and then I start doing this stuff and then she leaves and then he leaves. Right. Like, ah, oh, right. So I'd love to get some feedback on that. So like there's that beginning phase of the relationship where there's the oxytocin, there's the dopamine, you know, you're feeling mm -hmm. that high, you're mm -hmm. around this person, they're making you feel good. And it pushes you through a lot of things. It pushes you through insecurity. It pushes mm -hmm. you through uh, trust issues. It pushes mm -hmm. you through uh, physicality, you know, intimacy. Mm -hmm. So those beginning periods, there's just almost this period where people are like so excited to be around each other and they like each other that all those feel good feelings are happening. So a lot of people's normal personalities are turned off. Then you get into the relationship 
And then people do go back to their norm. And when people fall into their norms, that's when you see the communication challenges, right? Some people shut down, some people over communicate, <laughs> some people communicate, you know, in the middle. Um, you may see other challenges that arise, like where a person all of a sudden feels clinky to you. So I think in that initial phase, you're feeling comfortable, but then there's that dip off phase where you're now back in the norm that you talked about, where people are kind of, they're going into their own selves. And that's when you really figure out if you're compatible. Mm. I feel, because you're, you're right. We all put on our best face. And I always, you know, coach my clients, watch a person through seasons, like give them a seat, like four seasons, at least like watch, you know, and I, and I mirror it to summer, spring, fall, and winter, but seasons meaning watch how they are when they're stressed, watch how they are when they're happy, watch how they cope, watch how they parent. This is a chance for you to court. Courting is really you observing someone's behavior and seeing if they fit. But I think sometimes we're in such a rush to be with someone, which is a form of codependency. If you have a tendency to jump, from a relationship into a relationship and go all in, you you need to give yourself time to know that person. The other key is be yourself from the beginning. <laughs> it's less disappointing. <laughs> People know yes. who you are. And it's a blessing because like you will almost get rid of the people that don't fit naturally. And, and people just kind of don't want to go through that painful process. Cause I, I you know, I was, um, talking with a client and they were saying, well, I just feel like I wasted time. And I said, no, mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. time wasted if you learn. Mm -hmm. If you learn from it and you gain from it knowledge, it's time earned because if you're smart about it and if you're really conscious of not repeating the same pattern, you're not gonna keep doing the same thing over and over. You will get smarter at eradicating you know, situations or relationships that don't work. So to your point, I do, I think there's a beginning. And then I think there's also people who go through patterns, like they romance a lot in the beginning and, and then they have conflict and then they don't have a good way of conflict resolution or they have power struggles. There's different levels in uh, relationships. And I can't remember the psychologist that talks about it, but like they say, you reach certain levels, like there's the power struggle then you got to get past that. Then there might be an obstacle. Then you have to get past that. Then there might be something else that you have to get past that. A lot of people get stuck at the power struggle or the early phases. And they think, okay, if I move to another person, it'll be better. But then they have the same mm -hmm. issue over again. So my other thing is like, if you commonly are hearing the same thing from three people, <laughs> you know, because yes, you can have someone else, but three people are saying, you seem controlling, you seem clingy. There's some work to do on your end because you're the common denominator. So this is really about the introspection part of it. So this is, this is gold. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to break. We're going to break this down for you because it immediately evoked so many, so many questions and then so many kind of like aha moments. That's when you realize if you're compatible or not. This is a statement that I want to make very, very clear for you guys that are listening. When we get in a relationship, the first three months is dopamine and oxytocin. Right. Okay. You're high. <laughs> it's like a You're, drug. Uh, you are high. That's why it's called a new relationships are intoxicating. Yes. Okay. Great. So chances are it doesn't matter who it is in that two to three month period. If you guys click. 
there's going to be this intoxicating overload of dopamine and oxytocin, correct? Correct. All right, great. So now enjoy that. Have fun. It's going to end, correct? <laughs> it will. It, it will ebb and flow. All right. In a normal relationship, we all know this. I've been married and I've been in a long-term relationship. It, it is like in a no- normal relationship, you're going to have good times. You're going to have some very boring times. Times. When it's boring, you're actually probably in a good relationship. People get this very confused, too. They look for constant excitement. Mm. Come home and have a routine with someone, and that person is consistent in your life, you know, consistently supportive, consistently respectful. You know, even when you're arguing, the arguments become about the topics not directed at you or kind of throwing things around to manipulate you. You're in a good relationship. So like there's a normal ebb and flow to relationships. There's definitely times that could be more. We, you know, you could speak to this, Omar, because I think you're married. I mean, there's time and I'm not to put you on the spot, but like I'm sure there's times where it's been like, wow, this is great. And then there's been difficult times because that's just life. People go through things that affect them different ways. And that's going to naturally affect the layout of your relationship. But I think the difference of couples that fight through it is that they almost have a commitment to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're pissing me off. I may take a moment. I may leave for a moment to go do something else to kind of cool down, but I'm not leaving permanently. I'm here. And I think that's really, and they choose to keep moving forward. But I think every relationship has challenges, no matter how good it is, no matter how long it is. We're human beings. Our humanness right. is going to come out. Struggle is part of the journey. And as a matter of fact, it's that struggle that tells you how strong your marriage is. You're going to go through struggles. You get through them together. On the end of it, you recognize how strong your relationship is, how strong your communication is, how strong your own vulnerability and openness is. That's where it counts. In a lot of cases, these struggles are opportunity to prove how strong the marriage is. So if you're running, well... I guess it was good. You can never get to that point. Right. Right. You talk to any couple. I, you know, I asked my mom, I said, how did you last 56 years? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she said, lots of prayer, Mm -hmm. lots of compromise. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely some difficult times, but you, you know, it's almost like we talked about our spiritual practices. You have to have that spirituality component to your relationship too, to keep you guys grounded and pulled together. Otherwise I feel like you're just open to whatever. So now, now that we just discussed the easy part, the easy part is falling in love. The easy part is meeting somebody and getting high, getting all intoxicated. Anyone listening to this, most of you guys understand addiction, right? It's just like everything else. At first, it's fantastic. Best thing ever. Nothing you like know, that first, yeah. Right. The first everything. Right. Now, let's get to the the nitty gritty. So... The serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. So the courage to change the things I can is me. So now I recognize, oh, light bulb goes on. Oh, no wonder I can't stay in a relationship. I keep thinking that this intoxication phase is supposed to last forever. It's supposed to be super easy and effortlessly, no work required, and the furthest thing from the truth. So now you get through that phase. The important thing is to know who you are 
and what you want. We've already discussed the first book, which is The Five Love Languages. What is other material or what are other exercises or what is it you do? Because at some point you have to coach somebody and go, okay, you need to figure out who you are first. You don't know who you are yet. As soon as you know who you are and how you process information, then it'll be easier for you to communicate with your partner and also understand them. Right. This is a little shameless plug, but I wrote a book, um, you know, called Love You and He Will Too, uh, The Smart Woman's Roadmap for Happy, Healthy Relationships. Now, men read my book, too, and couples. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know there's lots of books out there that are tools. In this book, I specifically wrote because I was that person who was so connected to my partner that I was in that long-term relationship with that I lost a true sense of who I was. Mm. I started to rely so heavily on his validation Mm. when initially he was attracted to the fact I felt confident in who I was, but I lost Mm. that. And I think in a lot of relationships that happens where you don't, you don't go into it purposefully, but usually one partner can dominate pretty easily Mm -hmm. and the other partner follows. So so it's a really tricky role to follow to not totally lose a sense of yourself. So I think a part of it is really, I think affirmations are important. You know, uh, if you suffer from low self-esteem, finding things that you can say to yourself as corny as it is. And I went through, I've done these things. So I don't say anything that I haven't done or that hasn't been helpful to me mm-hmm. and to others. I've coached. But if you could stand in the mirror and start to assert certain things about yourself, then you start to believe them. The thoughts are very powerful. And, and Omar probably, I, I feel like you kind of can relate to that. Like it's like what you say and the thoughts you put in your mind really drive a lot of things. So a lot of times people just have a lot of self-limiting beliefs. Like I've coached people where they're like, I only attract men who abuse me. And I only attract men who don't want to love me. They just want to do this to me. And I've had to work so hard just to shift their mindset because what happens is when you think a certain way, you attract and, and I know it's, people are always like, no, it can't be that simple. But yeah, it is because people, we're very instinctive and intuitive. And I'll use this example. I was um, out with a girlfriend, a couple of girlfriends one time, and we were all dressed up. We were in um, Las Vegas. We were going out. And one of the girls was going through a separation. She was trying to figure out if she should divorce her husband or not. She looked great. She was, you know, we were going out. We were at this uh, event. This two guys came up to her and they said, you know, you're beautiful, but something seems like you're not ready yet to be in a relationship. And I thought, wow, because, you know, I'm a relationship coach. So I'm like, I'm a little freaky about these things. Like, wow, that's deep that these guys, <laughs> like, you don't, you think a guy just looks at you and says, okay, I want to, you know, connect. Uh, right. Right. But in these two, these were two instances where the guys were like, you know, you seem like a sweet woman but it just seems like you're trying to figure something out we, we can't put our finger on it mm. but you seem a little disconnected it wow. happened to her twice so to me that's the power of the energy that we put out there so if we put energy out there that's negative or self-limiting i only attract short men i only attract tall men I only attract poor men I only attract women who are broken you become that and i think subconsciously you guide yourself to that so then when someone does come in that form you accept it because in your mind, you've already told yourself, that's what I'm going to attract and that's what I'm worthy of. So I'm a really big proponent of self-love. I think before you jump into any relationship, you got to do the work on yourself. And people don't always want to hear that. But if you don't close the door on certain things or resolve certain things, it doesn't matter if you have the best person in your life. Those things are going to just keep recurring um, in your relationships and affecting them. Yeah, and for so many, the the victim role 
the the vict the victim role is so powerful um and you know there's there's things that happen to us in our childhood that bring us that that create this sort of feeling that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving, this happened to me, and then they attach a meaning to it, right? So this thing happened to me, and it just means that I am not deserving because I did this, or this happened to me, or whatever the case may be. And it's so subtle sometimes, because we think about trauma, we think about trauma as like I was molested or raped or, you know. Right, think in the extremes, which is easier to identify. But there's such less extremes. Even when you have two parents that are together, there's always something your parents are going to lack because they're human. Mm-hmm. And there's always something that you carry from them. Like my dad grew up in an era of being a good, you know, where being a good provider was mm-hmm. the most important. Mm-hmm. His born in the 30s. So like their generation wasn't taught to like come home, cuddle with your kids, play with your kids. The fact that they were providing a home, they were providing discipline, you know, in, in a structure mm-hmm. that was good enough. And so for me, a subtle thing that I took away, it wasn't traumatic. And I talked to my dad about this, was that I would choose men who were good providers. You know, I would I would choose, but they would often be emotionally unavailable. Yes. But what I realized I needed more was that emotional availability. And sometimes that didn't come in the shape of someone who was this super provider, because those are two different personalities. Sometimes it's hard to find that in one person. But it took me a long time to recognize it. And people would point it out and say, you know, you keep kind of choosing these difficult people. And I would think it was like an accomplishment to get someone who was emotionally unavailable to to love me or to be in a relationship. I'd be like, I got them committed. They're doing this. But the work was always incomplete because that was the I was not giving myself the thing that I needed the most. So I think it, likewise, what you're saying, it doesn't have to be a traumatic situation. It could be parents who didn't show affection. Right. It could be parents who never argued in front of you. So you don't know how to have a disagreement because it was never mirrored for you. You no one ever showed you. So a lot of things are and then your parents end up divorcing. You're like, what happened? <laughs> you know, because you never saw them argue. So it's all these little subtle things that we bring to our relationships that end up, you know, impacting how we interact with other people. That's so powerful. It's so powerful. And the thing is, too, there's another added element is this. It's just energy. It's and that person brings a certain energy. It reminds you of your father, somebody yes. who is. It feels familiar. It feels familiar. You will Thanks. you right. You will like oh something about some about this. <laughs> you know, it just feels so right, right. You hear this, it just feels so right, and then you end up in that that same sort of like, cycle, and then then you're wondering what's wrong with me. Right. right. What's what's wrong with me? Because I get that a lot. And then the, uh, I, I like what you wrote here, too, or what you said. You know, I got them to I got him to do this. I got him to commit in the relate. I got him to give me flowers. I got him. Right. right? And it's like, wow. As soon as I start hearing that. Right. Because I'll hear that. I'll be talking to someone like, you know, I'm having, I'm struggling in my relationship. Right. And I say, you know, and then, you know, I'll, I'll always at some point give them the hard question. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if this was your daughter. Right, I go. So let me yeah. ask you this: If this was your daughter, and she was in a relationship just like yours, and she comes to you and say, "Mom, this is what happens to me," and it's like we've been talking for like an hour, we've been going over this for like an hour, and I said, "Let me ask you this: You know, what would you tell? What suggestion would you tell her? Get out, leave him." La, 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 la. <laughs> so easy when it's not when right. It's, I go, huh? Like this is easy. <laughs> I go, you know, we're not, yep. we, I go, you know, we've been on the call for like an hour now. And that took under 
10 seconds. Under right. 10 seconds, to, all of a sudden. You have great clarity about it. Oh, so but, sometimes I say to people the same thing you say when I coach them. I say, remove yourself. If this was your friend, mm-hmm. what would you do? And then you're right. The answer is usually like, I would tell them to go. It's instant. like so cool. Mm-hmm. It's instant because you start to attach judgment and guilt, obligation. You start to take on responsibility that immediately if I'm going to try and answer this question, I first have to put it through this filter of guilt and obligation and shame and whatever the case may be. But the point is like every time you get them to do something, you feel like, oh, success. We're on the right track. And it's, and that's addiction, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's addiction. Addiction is like a repeatable behavior that gives you a little bit mm-hmm. of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that satisfaction keeps pulling you back into that same cycle, right? It's, 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 a, it's a similar process. So what is it? What materials other than the book, right? So we've got the book, Love You and He Will Too, okay? Mm-hmm. So what other things could you tell someone, right, that, that, that will allow them to get to understand themselves better? I encourage a lot of, like, you know, self-reflection and journaling. I think journaling is very important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, writing down how you feel when you have good and bad days teaches you a lot about yourself. And um, as an avid journaler, you know, what happens is you tend to then see a pattern, Mm-hmm. and how you react to things. And I also think when you put things on paper that they become less daunting, like they're just, you know, we always get worked up about certain things, but then when you really write it down, you're like, oh, this is digestible. This is fixable. Um, but I think when it's in our head is when it gets very big and ugly and scary and we don't want to deal with it. Um, the other thing is like, you know, what you and I do, go into a professional and, and being coached or getting counseling mm-hmm. I think that the world is, there's a lot of apathy and lack of empathy because there's a lot of lack of love, you know, that people haven't had in their lives. You know, show me someone who's really angry. I'll show you someone who hasn't been loved or who's felt neglected in some way. Mm. And I just think that, you know, and and we've seen it. Like I was watching a segment on 60 Minutes yesterday about uh, a a prison that's trying a different type of reform um, where prisoners earn the right to actually get rights to do work co-ops and they get to do yoga and they get to interact with the um, guards like in a normal way. Mm -hmm. And basically they were just treating them like humans Mm -hmm. and they're seeing like, you know, the change. Now every criminal is not ready for that, but these, the people that they've tested it on, one kid was able to go back to college and get a a basketball scholarship. And now he's hoping to get into the NBA. So like, and it's all came from people just, and you know, and using the inmates who were lifers to mentor them. So I just think like that connection and human connections gets so underrated, but it's so powerful because it can turn even the hardest of hearts, you know, around because you just don't know what people's, you know, history has been with what they haven't had in their life. And and you hear it a lot. People will say, I'm a survivor and they operate off of that. Right. And they, they survive even in their relationships. They don't know how to even extend that empathy or understanding to someone else. And I think that's the that's why we have such a uh, mismatch of relationships over time because you have so many people out here who are just like, okay, I'm going to survive. Okay, I'm going to transfer to the next person. And then we have the dating apps that kind of make it easy to do that. Mm. So people keep thinking they can just transfer out a person, get to the next person, but then they keep having the same 
challenges because at the end of the day, like I said, they're not dealing with themselves, which is the whole foundation of any relationship. Because the only person you can control within a relationship is yourself. You can't control how someone's going to react, how they're going to interact with you, but you can control how you're going to react. You can control how you're going to interact with them. And so if you could get that piece right, I just think it sets you up to be with someone who's more aligned with you. But if you're always teeter-tottering or, you know, if that's a term, I mean, if you're always kind of not figuring out just those basic things, that's where you come in and attracting those like erratic or almost dysfunctional pieces because you're not dealing with that, that, you know, part of yourself. Well, they say that dysfunction seeks dysfunction. So it's, it's energy. It's energy. If I'm whole, if I'm someone who has done the work, someone who has self-worth, someone who recognizes my value and I'm with someone who is is constantly second guessing themselves, is is sort of um, seems to be clingy and needy kind of a thing. You know, someone like that is going to be like, oh, whoa, 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 I'm out of this, I'm out. Right. That's not, and, and you know, two things: dysfunction becomes functional. So when people are dysfunctional. That becomes their norm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I think abuse, emotional, verbal, physical on both sides, that's a norm to some people because that's all they know and they have experienced, right? But the other piece of what you said, when you get to the point where you change your narrative, you're you become so strong. When you love yourself, your toler your tolerance goes, <laughs> it decreases for people that are not on that plane with you. You are more confident walking away because you just you know your worth. You know that you're not gonna, you know, settle for that, and people feel that. That's energy. Mm-hmm. They know kind of. Oh yeah. Push they know who they can't, and so I, I just think that again, it goes back to the importance of developing that, almost like your own. Um, I'm trying to think of the term, but protection. I'm thinking of the armor, your own armor, as far as knowing who you are, because once you know who you are, then you kind of, you you know what you will accept, once you won't accept. You 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 know your standards. It just be. I think it becomes a little easier. Um, to, to, to let go of certain things that are toxic or you see that are unhealthy for you. Well, if, if you didn't recognize that term, that's a, that's a newer term for those listening. It's a cha- changing the narrative. And you may have heard it, but really not understood it. But really, changing the narrative is just changing that internal dialogue that you have, that chatter that goes on in your head, which you know Elizabeth was also talking about, which was affirmations. And in many cases, right, what I find is that people, if I ask them, so what went wrong this week? And they can rattle off just a laundry list. Well, this happened, and then on Monday this happened, and then you, I go, great, wonderful, got it all down. What went right? <laughs> the inner narrative. The inner narrative and the dialogue has me focusing on the negative, constantly proving to myself, see, see, it is this way. It is always this. It is always that. And I get caught up in that inner negative dialogue. All I have to do is, like you say, in the journaling, like sometimes I'll be like, okay, so this week, here's what you're going to do. Line down the middle of the page. What went right? What went wrong? Every single day. I want to know what happened. About when you focus on what's wrong, you 
just, you see all of it. And I know it's perception of some people say, oh, you're looking at it through rose colored uh, glasses. But mm-hmm. I think it's a bigger thing there. Like when you are constantly focused on what re- went wrong, you're stagnant. You're almost stuck in a holding pattern. Mm-hmm. So there be really good things ahead of you, but because you're just stuck on this mindset, you came and see the things that are in front of you. And we can all attest to this. You know, it's like when you're a kid, like kids are so open, their imagination is just so wide. They have so many imaginary friends, superheroes, like mm-hmm. they're almost boundless. They're not limited. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is as we become adults, we get shut down. Mm-hmm. You're realistic. If you do that, you're going to fail. And, and a lot of that's about how other people feel. It's not really about you. It's about their own sometimes insecurities oh, yeah. and their own going out of their comfort zone and so they can't and then if you do fail they're like see i told you like they're right there right but i think when you really get to a point where you're like okay you know failure that's just and i look at failure as like an attempt i always call fail is like first attempt in learning i wrote an article about it it's like i feel like you know you don't learn until you fail you don't learn until you have the difficult times just like you said with your your marriage and even relationships when you can grow through stuff together, you get stronger. So all of these things are there for a reason. So there's going to be bad stuff and and you can pretty much anticipate that's going to happen. But I think if you kind of focus and start looking at the good stuff, you realize there's all of these other opportunities that I've been ignoring because my mind has been on this this kind of negative, you know, mindset of what can go wrong or what has gone wrong. hundred percent, a hundred percent, right? It's a hundred percent, right? You'll start to actually manifest these amazing things into your life. As soon as you start seeing the positives, it shifts your awareness, it shifts your attention, it shifts your narrative. Things just start to shift and you start to notice things that you normally, that in the other mindset, you just knew, it would have just gone right, it would have been right in front of you and there's no way you could have seen it, right? So So here's what I'd like to know. I would like to know your journey, Elizabeth. Like for me, becoming a coach, right? My journey was... Drugs, alcohol, rock bottom, losing my marriage, losing my business, you know, having to go through my journey of recovery. And then after, you know, 15 years in sobriety, recognizing that, wow, I have these, these, this skill set, right? And so I'm going to become a coach. So what happened in your life? What was the journey getting to where you are today? Because I'm assuming that it's through relationships, through your marriage, that you had that aha moment that was like, this is what I'm going to do now. Yeah, I, I I used to wonder why I was going through so many things. I was like, am I cursed? I mean, I literally, I was a negative person. So I can, the things I say, I can attest to. I, I wasn't always positive or optimistic, but my ex-husband was super optimistic. So I always joked that that rubbed off Ooh, on me pretty well. Okay. And it's, it's towards overcleaning. So, so I was, I was the negative person. He was the positive person. He would be like, don't even speak that into existence. But I think like my journey of, uh, you know, I married young. So I just, you know, I don't have any, I don't harbor any ill feelings toward my ex-husband. And I know people, things can get very acrimonious when you're getting divorced or things, you know, things don't always play out well when people separate or make that decision for different reasons. But I think if you truly love someone, you love them, right? Um, And even in divorce or there's ways to get through it. So I think being married so young, we lost a child um, to SIDS, our first child. Uh, She's three so that was a turning point about just kind of, and I was in my twenties, you know, and I, and I just remember like during that time, I've always been very achievement oriented and wanting to, 
you know, accomplish things. So my focus was not in the right places. So while that loss was uh, significant and tragic and devastating, because I was so depressed, like I didn't want to live, you know, because I, I just felt like, man, I was focused on career and, you know, schooling and all these things. And I wasn't giving that time to my family, like in the, in the sense of really realizing that was the most important thing. It was there, but it was like taken for granted. So when she passed, it just gave me a greater appreciation for the family and faith, the spiritual components. So that's part of my journey. Going through the divorce was difficult. We, we weren't like always like, cause people joke, they're like, you guys are divorced. Cause we get along pretty well, you know, post-divorce. Um, but we really loved each other and we were each other's first love. So it was hard. Um, and then after that, I always say I went through the dark ages of dating. Like I, I, I was dating people that I don't know offense to them, but they weren't the right people for me. But because I just wasn't who I needed to be for myself, I was open to it. So having those experiences, you know, dating um, again, going back out there after being married and not realizing you're looking to kind of cling or be codependent on someone. I went through that being with people that weren't good for me. I've been through that um, being with someone who was emotionally abusive. I had that experience. Um, and then just like getting to a point of being with, you know, tra- attracting better quality men because I get better with myself. I- I've seen it, you know, in my own personal life and then in other people I've also helped. And I always was the person people came to for relationships. And I just I could somehow see it from both sides and coach people through it. And they would be like, wow, you calmed me down. Or, you know, I you were totally you know, you were totally correct about that perspective. I totally looked at it this way. I could just see the whole picture. So I, I took it for granted. But then when I wrote the book, you know, um, on the heels of a breakup, and I just started collecting my experience, I really did it to just selfishly kind of heal myself. But what I found that it helped to others as well. So I started getting people wanted me to talk about it. And so I would, you know, I've been on radio and TV talking about it. And and I realized that, man, there's a really big need for it. And I can't get enough of it. You see, I'm a little hyped up here because I, I just get excited because mm-hmm. I want people to be happy and I want people to be in the right relationships. And I don't want them to beat themselves up about it because I don't think it's easy. If it was easy, there wouldn't be so much failure around it. But I think if we um, learn to have more active conversations around it and we're honest about it, that we can really help each other. And so I just, I really enjoy it. Like I, it's like air to me. It's just so rewarding to help someone like evolve and become confident in themselves. And you could probably relate to this. It's nothing, it's nothing like it. It's just, it's fun. It's hard work, but it's fun. And so that's, that's been my journey to this point. I'm curious. I'm curious. Cause it sounds as though you stumbled on it intuitively. Like you have this intuitive nature someone comes to you with a relationship problem and you just intuitively know how to to counsel them or guide them you know or, yeah, or you're like guys, this, it just comes know, it comes and like it's funny like you know my significant other he's always like oh it's scary you're just like you read so well <laughs> it's kind of an, and, and, and it, so I had to like hold myself back sometimes because my push is always like oh okay, let's talk about it. Let's fix it. But sometimes you got to let people have their space. But yeah, it just, it is, it's very just natural for me. I could just, and you may have this too. Like I could just feel certain things. Like when people are, uh, you know, feeling pain and mm-hmm. difficulty, mm-hmm. shame around certain things. Mm-hmm. And I just, 
And I I don't want people to have that. Like, I think that's part of the problem. Like, I'm very happy when someone like a Michelle Obama comes out and says, look, me and my husband went through counseling because people need to know nothing is perfect, that people have to work at something, especially when people are together for decades. You're going to go through some hard stuff. So I I just I, I don't know. I find it rewarding to just, you know, help people and hear their experiences. And, and and you're right. It's just, it is, it's just a natural, I don't even know, like, I can't explain it sometimes. I'm like, I don't know where, where I get it from, but I just, it it's, does come. It's a gift. It's a gift. I, I have that same gift. It's just this intuitive insight that comes. I'm, I'm having a conversation and then boom, it just comes, right? So curious though, because at the same time, right, this was part of your journey, um, so at, at some point, right, you're giving all this wise counsel. When did you finally start to recognize where you could either help yourself or you had to go and seek, you know, outside counsel yourself because you're I, I, like, I can give all this great advice. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> it's like that sometimes. Right. Okay. It's like the guy that can coach. I always joke. It's like the guy that can coach the athlete to be the great athlete, but they're not a- an athlete. And it's like, at all. They do that? <laughs> so I would say just like through my experiences, I just had, you know, when I went through that dark age of dating, I had to step back and I was like, cause it was easy for me to date easy. And I think it's easy for a lot of people to date. There's always someone that will date you or be in a relationship with you. I had to learn to be with myself, take space for myself. That was one piece of it. And I had to recognize things and I did go talk to someone. And I think there's no shame in that because someone who's, you know, it's hard. Sometimes you don't want to engage your friends, family for different reasons. Cause sometimes they're like, Oh, just let it go. It's normal because families are very good at that. That's our norm, but that norm is bad. Mm, yep. <laughs> but, but, but they're like, let's keep doing it. It's worked. No, it hasn't worked, <laughs> you know? And so when I talked to someone who was objective about it, it kind of confirmed things. And it was funny about when I went to counseling, the counselor said, what's weird about you is, you know, what your, <laughs> your issues are pretty much, but you just need to take action on changing the issues. So my weakness was overthinking and analyzing and not taking action to move forward. But over time, I had to learn to do that. So I think when I'm giving people counsel, they feel it's real because I've lived it. You know, I've observed it in other people. Um, so it's, it's coming from a good and an authentic place. This is beautiful. I love this. I love this. Because this is where so many people get stuck. And this is where sometimes I'll get, we'll get stuck together. The awareness is all there. At some point, it's undeniable, oh, oh, came from here. Oh, yeah, this is how my mother was. Oh, this is how my father was. Oh, this is, how I, this is what I'm attracted to. Oh, so all this awareness comes, like for yourself. But ultimately, I've got to take action. Yeah. What were some of the action steps you took? Like I said, you know, recognizing it and being real. Like when you go in for addiction, what's the first thing? acceptance, right? Like admitting you have a problem. Okay. I had to admit I had a problem. Like I had a problem with, like, I was just as guilty of accepting certain behaviors or certain partners because I allowed that to happen. I had some power in that. So the acceptance part, the other part was um, really talking to someone who could give me real help and counsel around it. And that was, a, I mean, that was a life changer to me because having someone hold you accountable for something 
you you can try to hold yourself accountable. And some of us are good at that was that the less than 5% of the population. But most of the time, you know, the people that even the people who are at the top of their game, there's a reason they have psych, you know, sports psychologists or, or coaches because they too have the same, they're human, right. they have the same challenges. But having someone hold you accountable, sit you down and say, no, this is messed up. What are you gonna do about it? That's that's a real, that's a game changer. And then I would say just you know journaling it out, doing things differently, recognizing when I had setbacks, just like an addiction, you can have a setback. You can, you can, you can have a slip up, right? And I think you can do the same thing when it comes to uh, codependency or being in toxic relationships because it feels good to you. It feels comfortable. It's familiar. And if there's one thing that we all hate it to some degrees, it's changing that, you know, that comfort feeling. We like a level of comfort in our lives. And so, so when you're changing those patterns with your relationships, you're really having to go out of your, you know, your comfort it's zone. Un- yeah. It's uncomfortable. So let's, let's, this, these are, this is all revolving around stories. Okay. So you're a coach, I'm a coach, and so what we, we, we come across is people who have these stories, right? And then they pick up these stories. You know, I'll be happy when this happens, right? I can't do this because, right? So they have all these stories, these limiting beliefs that they've picked up along their way from the family members, from, you know, from, from school, from wherever, right? So what what are the stories that you used to tell yourself? What are the biggest limiting beliefs you had in your life? And what is it that you believe now? So I have a mentor who will be so happy <laughs> that I'm giving him credit for this. Um, but he would always say to me, like, you get in your own way. You know, you have more power over your life than you think you do. And I'd be like, no, I don't. I have this going and this. No, just do it. Take action. Let's talk more action. Those mm-hmm. were his words. So I say, I would say for me, just changing that mindset is about doing more action towards what you want and trying and, and doing less thinking about it. And so for me, my self-limited belief was like, I, I'm not, I don't have power over my life or I can't do this because I don't have enough money to do this. I can't coach because, well, what if they say you don't have this, this or that, that other coaches have. And I had to get past those self-limited beliefs. Right. And when I did, I started focusing on what I did have. And I just feel like we all have something to offer. Everyone has some component of their life or something they've experienced that can be valuable to someone else. Someone is just waiting for that knowledge because they're, they're stuck. And they're like, what do I do in this situation? And you can be that person that opens the door. So, you know, those self-limiting beliefs, you just have to really fight against it and focus on what you do have. Because I think everyone's journey is different. Everyone, what they have to offer is different. But everyone has something to offer of value. It's it's so true. It's so true. The difficult thing and the challenge here always is being able to, first of all, recognize it. Yes. And second of all, owning it. Right. And that's why I talk about the mentor, like having someone outside of yourself that can, whether it's mentor, call it a counselor, a pastor, a friend that's just that friend. person you go to yeah. that gives you real advice. Just you, you need, I think you need that sometimes. There's a reason why teams win versus sometimes individuals, right? There's, there's power in collectively moving towards a purpose and having people hold each other accountable. The more times, the more times someone outside of you that's, that's good quality people in your life, your circle of influence is everything because the right people in your life, you're going to be getting the same messages 
from those people. You're going to, enough people are going to tell you, wow, you have a gift. Wow, you're incredible at this. Wow, you're, at some point you go, (laughs) maybe it's true. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, you know, like maybe it's true. Huh, huh, wow. Like that's the eighth person that's told me that. Right, We, we look for that. And so you're, so you gotta, so you gotta surround yourself. That's another thing I would say, surround yourself with the right people. You know, we, we put a lot of emphasis on who we're in a relationship with, but every relationship around you is important. And I think, you know, sometimes because it's family, we'll say, oh, we got to deal with it. You really don't. Like if people are negative or or harmful to your development, you got to limit your exposure to them because it does affect you. Affects your mindset. You said. Yeah, for sure. And same thing, if you have a strong circle of influence, like people that really care about you, quality people in your life, you're going to hear this, you're going to hear the same thing from different people. Yeah, he's not the right one for you. She's not the right one for you. He's not the right one for you. She's not the right one. You're going to keep hearing it. It's up to you whether or not you want to listen, right? You're like, oh, they just don't know, right? They're just like, well, they don't understand. They don't need to understand. You're getting a message direct from the universe, Right. So unless they're toxic, codependent, you know, people, right, which they, they, they might be. But it's almost like you said, if three people tell you the same thing, right, you might want to pay attention to that. Right. And also, right. too, here's one thing I come in contact to. Right. It's like, well, you know, I can't I can't abandon this person. I'm the only one left that you know, is in their life. Everyone else has abandoned them. And I, and then I'll be like, you know, there could be a reason for that. (laughs) Right. There's 8 billion people on this planet. There are. If they've scared all 8 billion people run, Mm -hmm. get out of there. You know, it's so, and and it's so, and then those are usually the ones where I'll let it go for half an hour, 45 minutes. We have this like, real deep, all the different scenarios. And then I go, okay, so this was your daughter. What would you tell her? And immediately they're like, I told oh, you to get out. <laughs> oh, you got to get out of there. That person's going to suffocate you. Hmm. In fact, we should use that as the rule. That's the limitless test. So I got to let it you- build though. You got to, you <laughs> right got to, you got to kind of like give them enough rope. You got to right. give them enough rope. You got to go all this thing. And then it kind of catches them off guard. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm curious. You know, if this was your daughter, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, I would say this and that. Oh, interesting. That took you less than 10 seconds. We've been on this call for 40 minutes. Ah, ah, mm, you got me. All right. So speaking of which, that's a good segue to the next question. One of my favorites, big Tony Robbins fan, right? And Tony Robbins talks about burning the boats, Right to take the island, you got to burn the boats. You got to draw that line in the sand. That moment where it's like, not one more day, not one more hour, not one more minute. I'm not going to tolerate this anymore in my life. What was that moment for you? Wow, I think you know. So with my marriage, um, I would say that moment came when I, I was looking at myself in the mirror, and I was just like, I didn't look like myself. Mm. I didn't feel good. And I said, enough is enough. Like, you know that you 
you got to let it go because I was one of those people that could be indecisive. That's one of my weaknesses sometimes. And I could go back and forth and let someone talk me out of things. I'm not like that now, but I was at that point. And I just said, I have to do this. And I, I had a, a hard time because I, I grew up in a very religious family and mm. people didn't get divorced because mm. everyone stays like in our, our families. And I remember being so nervous about telling my parents that, you know, I think I want to get a divorce. And I remember going to my mom and she said, wow, you lasted longer than I thought you would. <laughs> and no, not because oh. she likes her husband, but she was just like, you did everything that you were supposed to do, but I, you had to reach that conclusion. So I think it was just that moment of having that realization, like I need, I deserve more. I want more than this. And then when I did that, it was clarity. And I think people are so scared to let go because they're so afraid what they may lose, but they don't focus on what they gain. And so I just remember like post-divorce, it was hard. There's adjustments. I became a single parent that was different than having, you know, a child with someone there all the time. But I learned so much about myself, like how resilient I was, how resourceful I became, um, just how strong I was, um, you know, emotionally and mentally. It was just like another thing open. And I've learned that in every phase of my life. Every time I've come across something very difficult. I'm like, man, there's some good stuff coming. Because inevitably, when you think things are falling apart, there's a reason they're probably going that direction. Sometimes we need that nudge to do what we're supposed to do or to push us to that next thing. So just so when I went through that, I just, I, I don't know, I learned so much and I'm, I'm just glad I had that experience. And now I can help other people that are in that same boat that feel like I can't do this on my own. I don't want to sacrifice this. And I teach them that, you know, yeah, it's, there are real things that happen when you get divorced that are very hard. There are financial implications. There mm-hmm, are mm-hmm, challenges mm-hmm. with co-parenting, challenges with mixing families, you know, when people start seeing other people. But like your peace of mind, I, I just you can't buy that. You what can't if, buy it. Yeah. You know, uh, speaking of which, let's yeah, I, that just brought up another I thought, which is, you know, you're in you're in a dysfunctional marriage. Okay, so here's, I'll give you a scenario, right? So you're in his marriage, you've been together for 20 years, you got kids, all right, your kids are teenagers, all right, and it's falling apart. Like, you know it. You know it. If somebody said, like, if I, you know, the, 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 another easy question is, here's a million dollars, what do you do? I'm out. Right. Okay? Case closed. I'm out. Okay, so now I know what I want. What's holding me in here is the financial strain of all the financial obligations and burdens. Like, how do we support two households, right? Um, how do we, you know, how do I, right, right now, we're barely making it the two of us. If we were to get a divorce, the financial implications are so immediate. The fear comes in. The fear comes in of the financial responsibility and the burden. What do you tell them? I mean, the financial thing is real, but I think that you can, you know, you can create strategies when you're divorcing too. You can build to certain things. So I've had people who've had situations where they were reliant on their spouse financially and they were worried that once they got divorced, they were going to lose that or there would be a fight because that does happen inevitably, right? Um, Because some people use finances as a way to control. So I start work, I walk, I work, I walk my, Uh, clients through the process of figuring out, okay, what's your plan? So how do we start doing things to set yourself up so that we can kind of alleviate some of that fear? Does that mean you're going to go back to school now? Does that mean you're going to get a new skill set? Does that mean you're going to start a business? And I've had clients who weren't 
employed and they, you know, said they thought they started thinking differently about it where they did say, okay, you know what? I want to go invest in a business. And they just start thinking about ideas because again, this is a mindset when you're closed and you're like, I can't do something. I'm financially going to be ripped apart. You're going to stay in that zone. But if you then look at it, like, I really want to get out of this. You're going to start looking for ways to get out of it. So I, I really guide them towards the change of mindset, but also with real practical advice about things they can do to get you know, out of that situation. I, I also like the term that people use sometimes, co- conscious uncoupling. Yes. Like making it together yes. with a mediator and saying, look, we're, we're not happy. This isn't working. It's really dysfunctional. Our kids are being impacted by this. Because I think that's important too. People often say, I stay for the kids. If your kids are watching you in a, a constantly negative relationship, you're just setting up another generational narrative of dysfunction. So you're not doing it for the kids. The kids will appreciate, yes, there will be challenges, but the kids will appreciate you guys coming to them and saying, look, we can't make this work, but we're still here for you. I think when the problem comes is when parents divorce and they divorce the kids. So that's the other piece of it. So I think you could be, you know, you could talk to each other, get a mediator involved or a counselor and say, okay, how do we manage this process? What does our roadmap look like to get out of the situation? So again, it's just looking more towards what your options are, how to get towards those options and not looking so much at what is, you know, inhibiting you. This, this is the, this is only the second time I've heard the term conscious uncoupling. Mm -hmm. So is, is this to understand it? Is this, this the idea of being able to communicate effectively and on a higher level and coming to terms with, Hey, this isn't working out. Let's figure out how to uncouple. Right. And, and you know, Gwen Paltrow and Chris Martin talked about it first. You know, uh, the Coldplay singer and Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress, I know they're very wealthy, but I'm sure they had a lot of assets in common. And I think it was a very difficult decision for them to divorce because no one goes into a marriage for it to fail. Right. I, I like from what we see how they handled it. There wasn't any berating of each other in the right. media. There wasn't any, um, it was all about, we're going to keep our family together. We're going to still do things as a family. And then when they, they now are see, like, I think Gwen has remarried, Gwen has remarried. I don't know. Chris is seeing someone, they involve the, you know, the new people that they're serious about with the kids. So I think there's a way to do it where your kids are, they may, I mean, I think as kids, you're always going to want your parents to be together. Let's be real about that. But I, but even my own daughter, when I went through my divorce and later on, I said, man, maybe I shouldn't have got divorced. I went through that period. She said, no, you did the right thing. And she was young when she said that to me. She's like, I think it was right for you and dad. You guys love each other, but I don't think you're compatible in that way. And so kids are just much more. Wow. She wasn't a teenager when she said that she was young, like a kid. And so I think kids are much more intuitive and much mm-hmm. more observant than think they are. And they're always watching not what we say, but how we act and what we do. So I think if you could do it in a respectful way that you also teach your kids what it looks like if wow. they mm-hmm. have to go through that situation. So you're, again, if anything, I tell people, look at it from your kid's perspective, look at it from what you want your kid's legacy to be. Cause we all care and love our kids. We want the best for them. Beautiful. And just like I said, when you put that question out there, people immediately, if it's a, a situation that's wrong for them, but they can't see it. As soon as you put the kid in there, they clearly articulate, Nope. I would tell my kid to move away from this. So we, we, we're willing to look out for our kids, but we got to also do it in that realm of, you know, a divorce situation or when things are getting very uh, 
you know, unbearable within a, a marriage. What do you want? What do you want to teach your children? Do you want to teach them how to endure suffering and pain? Or do you want to teach them how to effectively communicate, set boundaries, right? Get to a point where regardless of the obstacle, there is a way out. There is a, there is a positive, loving way of getting out of any situation, whether it's a job you hate, uh, a friendship that's no longer serving you, a marriage, you know, any kind of relationship, right? What do you teach the people around you, especially your children, about valuing yourself and at the same time valuing the other person. So there's this whole, you know, there's a lot that that happens. There's a lot of teaching that happens and more importantly, this innate intuition where they start to recognize the shift in energy because as long as it's, there's no communication, both people want out, don't have any idea how to get there, the energy is palpable. I, oh, I remember my parents, 33 years, they hated each other. Every time you were in the house, you could just feel it. That was like a fourth person in the house. Right? It was like, ugh, right? There was that, that heavy sort of like, you know, toxicity. Um, and, and, and the importance of, you know, what that does to your children. I mean, if you can just keep kind of like keeping that in mind, I think that's going to make the difference. So... Tell us about an aha moment in your life when you realize that you are now moving in the right direction. Um, I would just say, like, you know, being in uh, a relationship that's healthy, it just feels different. Like, it's you don't feel like you're walking on eggshells. Um, you feel like you can be who you are. And it, it doesn't feel as constrained. So it's just a totally opposite feeling of a toxic relationship. Because when you talk to people who are in toxic relationships... They have a lot of angst a lot of times. It's like a roller coaster. It's up and down. Um, so it's just for me, the aha moment was just being like, wow, there could be peace when you're mm. in the right relationship with someone and you really could be true to who you are, which goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is if you just be yourself in the beginning, <laughs> it kind of eradicates that whole beginning phase of like love and then failure, right? Where people see that true person and they just completely are like, who's, who's this person? So when you're true to who you are, you're attracting, you know, what you need or who, who can be the, the right person for you in your life. Wonderful. And what are the three books or maybe favorite books? Number one is your book, right? <laughs> love, love you and be willing to, and he will too. Um, what other books would you recommend to our listeners? So this is going to seem weird, but um, one of my favorite books is um, Onward by Howard Schultz who's the founder of Starbucks. And I'll tell you why, because he work, he walks you through when Starbucks was, it, it grew really fast. It reminds me of a relationship. It grew really fast. It went really well. It was a tremendous amount of success. And then he, it went really kind of bad and he had to restructure the business and reset it. So I felt like that book, even though it's, it's good business lessons in it, but it also parallels like your life and relationships of how you can have these ebbs and flows where things are really going well, but then they can go down, but then they go back up and how you can rebuild, you know, and move forward. So I, I just, I don't know, I really like that book and it stuck with me um, ever since I read it many years ago. I love it because it, it allow you to tap into two things, right? Relationships and entrepreneurship. So business. And what about the five love languages? 
Oh, yeah. So I think that book is really good because, again, we talked about, you know, the golden rule is, you know, we, we tell ourselves treat people how we want to be treated. But the reality is the platinum rule is treat people how they want to be treated. And the, 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 uh, the book about the different love languages is excellent because, again, it talks about what people what's important to people. Oh, and I forgot to mention one. Affirmations is one. So some people thrive off of people saying, wow, you're doing a great job. I'm so proud of you. Like that just feed some people. Mm. And then the other ones we talked about were quality time, making sure you're, you know, setting aside time for that person. The other one was physical affection, because that's a way of a person reconnecting with that other person. And then we talked about um, acts of service, doing nice gestures. And then the other one, so we did time, right? We did uh, acts, of ser- acts of service. Did we get all of them? Gifts. Affirmation. Gifts, right? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times the gifts part could be misconstrued because people say, "Are you are right. you saying I have to do a lot of things?" And it's not about how much the gift is, but it's about the gift being a recognition of how you feel about that person, understanding who they are, and a reflection of your level of caring for them. I think I think that's it's 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 a book that gets talked about a lot. And it is. It's a simple book, but a good book. It reminds me of the Four Agreements. Like mm-hmm. it's simple but it's very to the point and mm-hmm. it's easy enough for everyone to understand. All right. And there's well. an aha moment when you're reading it. You're like, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's my husband or my significant Right, husband. right. Yeah, uh-huh. those aha moments could be the could be the complete game changer for your for your relationships, for your current relationship or for future ones. Because right. it might just be like, oh, I got to get out of this one as soon as possible so I can find the right <laughs> one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just saying, just saying, just saying. Keeping it real, that's true. (laughs) What are your three most powerful I am statements? Hmm. I would say I am a teacher. Mm -hmm. And that's probably where my coaching, I enjoy the relationship coaching. Um, I'm a leader. That uh, that takes me, that's taken me a while to get to. And I'm a work in progress. That's Mm. the one that keeps me grounded. (laughs) Because we're constantly, like you said, evolving and changing and figuring out things. Wow, I like that. I like that. I am a work in progress. Wow. Wow. Really leaves you open. It does. For it does. all possibilities. We yeah. talked about that. You yes. So what's coming? Wow. I might have to. I'm going to add this. This is why I ask. Ooh, add it to list of affirmations. All right. <laughs> Omar's affirmations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so what is your personal success formula or blueprint for success? I think that, you know, everyone has different things that work for them. And I think that's important to realize. But I would say for me, just like staying humble mm-hmm. and recognize that I don't have all the answers. And I think the older I get, I realize I know nothing as much as what I thought I knew when I was half my age. Um, just being resilient, mm. um, knowing that you're, you're, everything is not always going to go your way, but those things that don't are some of your most important lessons, never giving up um, and just staying grounded. You know, like we talked about having that, that, uh, that gratitude, like even in those moments where you can't see, you know, through the woods and you're like, man, this is just a lot. Like that period I told you, I felt cursed, like recognizing that, you know, you go through those things to, to help you get stronger and probably, and not just that to help affect other people. Cause now you're telling your story to other people and you're helping someone through a, you know, a similar situation. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is fantastic. I love it. All right. So what is the best advice you have ever received? 
like I said, my mentor <laughs> told me more action, less talk, just mm-hmm. do it. Um, one of the coaches I really like a lot out there, uh, her name is Mel Robbins oh, yeah. and she has that five second rule. Mm-hmm. And I incorporate that a lot. Like sometimes you just got to go and do it. So there's things I've been so uncomfortable with doing, but I just keep pushing myself to do those uncomfortable things. Like I didn't like doing videos, mm. but Chris, our mutual friend was like, you need to do more videos. Your videos are good. And, and you know, if you keep hearing it, and I, I remember even doing my first video and saying to my my people, my followers, I'm like, I hate doing videos, <laughs> but I'm doing this out of love because I know I need to get out there and do this. And people started saying, it's okay, keep going. So like just taking those times to do those things that feel uncomfortable, that's how you stretch and grow. Um, so, I, I, you know, that's something I would say too. Just don't be afraid to do things that you don't know how to do yet. Just just go for it. You have nothing to lose. Beautiful. I, I know I've had that journey of the videos where <laughs> it's like, you got to do more videos. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I do the podcast. Right. Comfort- I'm comfortable with the podcast. It's me and a guest and we're having a conversation and it's not being by myself. So I right. could sit there staring at myself, judging me. Right. And it was like, but after a while, I remember I got to a point where I stopped thinking about it, kind of like I stopped thinking about the podcast. Mm-hmm. I could turn on a video now. It's not a big deal. I go. Right. right. And I'm it's like, like well, it's like, it's like being a baby. Like, you know, that first mm. step is scary. But then once the baby takes that first couple of steps, the baby just, boom, they're, they're gone. So it's just getting over that fear of riding a bike, you know, initially. Your, your parents are behind you holding the back of the bike, making sure you don't fall. And then you start riding the bike and you're like, they're not behind me. <laughs> it's just like, I think all of it's just getting, you know, out of your, your, your comfort zone a little bit. And then when you do it, you're like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. But, but know that, that, that might take a little longer than, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't so bad moment takes a while. It does. It, it, does. it takes a while. That's the thing. There's that, there's that gap there's that space and time between, oh, my God, I'm never going to do this, to, okay, I'll give it a shot, to second nature. Right, right. So how many times do I fall off my bike before it becomes second nature? And you got to get used to and tapping into like what you were talking about, your resiliency, right? Yes. Never give up the resiliency, right? That's, the, that's the, your formula for success. It's really the formula for success for many of us. Don't give up. Be resilient. You know, get yourself back up. All right. So final question, Elizabeth. What final piece of wisdom or what one one parting piece of wisdom would you like to share with our listeners? I would just tell people, again, you have more power over your life than you think you do and control. Um, I don't like that. And that a lot of times we talk ourselves out of things before we get started. Mm-hmm. But there's so many examples, you know, if you, and this is another thing I coach clients with, you know, when you feel like you can't do something, go back and write down all the things you did do, write down all the things you got through, all the things you thought were so scary that now you look back and you're like, that wasn't that big of a deal. And I think that once you do that, that the list of things you start working towards grows and your excuses actually lessen. Yes, Absolutely. Fantastic. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Please, if our listeners want to reach out to you, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want coaching from you, how, what's the best way for them to find you and reach out to you? Yeah, so my, my website is called thenewrulesofdating.com. 
And then, um, so if you, you know, you can reach out to me via my website. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook under the new rules of dating. So some people feel more comfortable DMing me through Twitter or Instagram. That's also an option. But, you know, even if you aren't ready to be coached, I just, you know, I put a lot of content out there and I do like your questions. So if you have a question about something, you know, reach out to me and I'm always open, you know, to talking through those things with you. I love it. I love it. Okay. I will have Elizabeth's website, social media on the show notes. So you guys can go to the website um, and all her information will be listed. (sighs) Elizabeth, thank you. (laughs) Wow. We got through it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again. I had a really good time. Enjoy talking with you. You're amazing. Thank you. I love that. All right, folks, we've now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us today on the Recovery Revolution Podcast. For more information about the podcast, to access the show notes, join us in the Recovery Revolution, or to learn about one-on-one coaching with me, then go to www omarpinto.com make sure to check out the website or schedule a free consultation with me today it's time to join the recovery revolution